Alrighty, we have a special edition of Side Retired, the only podcast coming at you guys today. Steven Shalati will be joining us today. He's the Dodgers bullpen catcher. So Nico, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan Campione, joined alongside Nico Fernandez. And Nico, how about you introduce our special guest for today's episode? So our guest today is the bullpen catcher for the Dodgers since 2014. It is Steven Shalati. How are you doing today? I'm uh, doing great. It's uh, it's nice to join up with you guys on your podcast. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about some of this stuff. Absolutely. And we're appreciative. I know spring training is ramping up. I believe it's technically like seven days before the official start date when we're recording this. So definitely a fun time in Dodgerville and all across baseball. So definitely excited to have you on and talk with us. All righty. So I think the first question that we sort of tend to ask everybody, and I guess this is kind of like a blanket question, but it's sort of, who are you? What do you do in the baseball industry? What is your role day to day in baseball? And sort of you can take it in whatever direction you want to take us in. Um, I'll try to make the story as uh, condensed as I can. Uh, so in 2009, I was drafted uh, in the 33rd round by the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I proceeded to play about five years of professional baseball thereafter. Um, and uh, in 2014, uh, I was able to attain this job as a major league bullpen catcher, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, I think uh, if my math is correct. I'm entering my 10th season here and 15th overall with the organization. Uh, the Dodgers uh, is basically all I know. And, um, you know, because of the success that we've had as an organization for the last decade or so, uh, I'm very grateful and appreciative for the opportunity to work for such a wonderful organization. Um, you know, there were, if you were to look back at like my time in minor league baseball and playing professional baseball, you're not going to be impressed. You're going to see my statistics. They're not going to, they're not going to shine through anything. They're not going to impress anybody. Uh, I had a limited opportunity to play, uh, but I, you know, was able to kind of stick in there and uh, help the guys that did have an opportunity to play uh, and give them the best shot and opportunity to make it to the major leagues. So uh, after about the second year in pro ball, after I realized kind of what was uh, happening, uh, I chose to stick in it and, uh, you know, continue to move forward. Uh, with the idea that I was going to be helping some of these players with the unique opportunity that they had uh, and, you know, hopefully take advantage of the talent um, that they're providing and in, in order to give them the best opportunity that they could to get to the major league level. And so I found myself in a supportive role uh, rather quickly. Um, and instead of rejecting it, I chose to embrace it. And, you know, it led to a wonderful opportunity to, uh, I mean, looking back at, we've been to the playoffs every single year. Um, you know, and I just been really happy that it's you know allowed me and my family to live the way that we have, uh, make the connections that we've had over the years. And, uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful, uh, wonderful time. That's awesome to hear, bro. And I think a lot of people, even avid baseball fans don't really appreciate the, the work that bullpen catchers go through. So what would you say is like kind of a day in the life of a bullpen catcher when you're in season? Well, I mean, that's going to be a little bit subjective and it's going to be unique to the individual. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's 30 major league baseball teams around the country. They're all kind of situated in a different part, um, you know, of their state and the city. 
that they're in. And, you know, sometimes they live in that same city and, or sometimes they live somewhere else, uh, either close or they live, you know, across the country somewhere. So every uh, bullpen catcher in the major league level is going to have a different situation than I, and uh, they're probably going to have different responsibilities, maybe attached to their position. Uh, my position mainly is to provide support uh, for the players and the coaching staff alike in any way that I possibly can. It just so happens that the, on the player side of things, I would almost compare it to like a sparring partner uh, for a boxer. You know, I'm like almost like a professional uh, practice partner for some of these guys. Um, you know, I warm them up, I throw with them. I'm able to stick with what they do from a physical standpoint and uh, provide an output that can, you say, be conducive to their uh, level of practice. Um, so uh, that, it could be batting practice. It could be long toss. It could be catching. It could be anything from a physical standpoint that I can do to provide uh, for the players in order to help them, uh, you know, feel good about going, you know, heading into a game or uh, feeling like they got good practice, whatever that is. So from a physical standpoint, it's up there. Um, there will be a lot of times throughout the season that, you know, I'm even I'm barking a little bit. I'm hurting. My hips are tired or my shoulders hurting. My elbows hurting, something like that because the volume can get kind of high and uh, unfortunately it's part of the gig. So it stays high. And so there's a certain amount of responsibility on my part in order to uh, embrace that the best that I can um, and be able to stay healthy, um, well-conditioned and that kind of stuff. And so from a coaching standpoint, if you were to look at my position on paper, you would see that I'm part of the coaching staff, but I'm not really a coach. Um, that's a different position in its entirety. However, being part of the coaching staff, I do take it upon myself to have a certain amount of responsibility uh, when it comes to the communication between coaches, players, front office, and that kind of thing. And in some unique way, I'm kind of a bridge. And uh, it, within that has a number of unique responsibilities. Um, I have to understand a lot of things. I have to be able to balance a lot of things in order to communicate properly to the front office and the coaches and the players without uh, really painting anybody in a bad light. And uh, it's kind of tricky at times, um, but the way that I go about doing it is like, look, I'm a professional every single day. What you say to me has, I don't have any immediate benefit, you know, or, you know, self, um, I guess like, uh, if you want to say self-motivation or self-motivated goal to, you know, to help me move further or whatever it is, you know, because you're going to be exposed to information that uh, otherwise, you know, you wouldn't. I mean, like if you were to betray the trust of a player or coach or front office, I mean, that could be your job. And so uh, I take that extremely, uh, extremely to heart and I work the best that I can in order to create the clearest line of communication uh, and the uh, the utmost uh, trust from my colleagues. And so that being said, with being exposed to a certain amount of information from players, coaches, front office alike, that's where the balancing act comes in because look, it's a business when it's all said and done. And uh, I respect the players in what it is that they do. And I respect the coaches in what it is that they do. And I, exp uh, uh, and I respect what the front office and what it is that they do. And so I have a, a kind of way of sitting back and observing uh, these departments work the way that they do. And I try to, uh, I guess, offer compliance or assist these departments in the best way that I see fit. And then sort of, sort of like adding on to that point, is it more of like, you'll come into the office for the day or come to Dodger Stadium, which must be a really cool place to say that 
I work at Dodger Stadium <laughs> every day, but sort of is it like you'll show up and then it's like, okay, Clayton Kershaw needs assistance with this at 9 a.m. and then Walker Bueller needs something at 11 a.m. So is it sort of you show up and that's how you find out or is there sort of a general sense of coming to the ballpark knowing what you're going to do that day? I would say most of the time, most of the time you're going to understand what it is that you're going to be doing that day. Uh, you have a rapport with some of these players that you kind of build over time, a certain amount of trust and respect, and just uh, kind of a knowing or knowledge of what it is that these guys do on a daily basis, where they're at in their schedules. Uh, you know, when it comes to if they're day one, day two, day three, you try to get to know these guys the best that you can um, in order to provide the best quality of service that you can for these guys. And when it comes down to uh, what it is that I do for their said player and being kind of a sparring partner, it's my job to get to know these guys the best that I can in order to offer the best quality of service that I can. So for the most part, you're going to understand what these guys do on a daily basis. Um, and you just kind of get a feel over time because this is a, you know, this is a daily grind day in, day out. It's very repetitive. And so uh, it sometimes is more challenging, uh, you know, to stay mentally challenged each day because of the monotony and the, the daily turnover um, and how everything, it, it really does stay, uh, similar. Um, but like I said, I mean, you have every, every now and then you'll have odd days, you have traveling days, you have days off. Um, we'll have in an event of sorts and it throws schedules off. And so that's where, again, when it comes down to the communication part of it, uh, when you have the trust and respect of the players, uh, coaches and front office alike, you're able to communicate those things in order to, you know, provide a timeline, provide a schedule and that kind of stuff. And you can be available when it is that you're, that you're, that you're needed. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously that rapport is like very important because eventually you want to get them ready for game day. And what kind of like is your role more on like those start days? Are you more involved with the pitcher that's projected to start on that start day? Or are you more involved with like maybe the other pitchers that aren't supposed to be pitching that day? Uh, I wouldn't say that it favors one or the other. It's just a matter of whoever is starting that day, they have a particular routine that they have in order to kind of go into their start. Uh, and then, again, once you get to know these players a little bit more, you understand that they're on day two, day three, and day four, uh, and they're, you know, where they're at in between starts and that kind of thing. And so heading into the ballpark or sometimes even the, when the day is concluded and we're actually playing the game, you have an idea of what is to come the next day already. And so uh, from a mental standpoint, you're already prepared just because intuitively just you build an understanding over time. What did these guys do? Uh, daily and in between starts. And so you just kind of have that feeling, you know, whose day is it tomorrow or whose start is it tomorrow? And uh, you're able to kind of put that together before coming into the park the next day. That I would say is pretty equal. I don't think that it varies very much uh, for the most part when it comes to a relief uh, pitcher work. It's going to be roughly the same time every single day. If you're helping out with the medical staff and you're doing, um, you know, throwing or working with rehab players, for the most part, if communicated properly, they're going to be right around the same time of the day. And then you have the starter routine, which is going to vary a little bit between players. Um, and you, it's up to you, at least in my opinion, to find out what time they uh, are going to throw on that kind of thing. And so some of the, um, I don't want to say issues, but, you know, some of that, what I would call balancing act uh, amongst, you know, these different roles and responsibilities is trying to figure out how some of these work, uh, players can work in 
uh, with each other and not interrupt each other's work. So sometimes uh, starting a pitcher, they maybe push back or something, you know, maybe they're getting a little extra work done in the medical room, uh, whatever it is, maybe they had an event to go through, maybe they had something going on with family, whatever the case may be, they may be running a little bit late. And so that's where it's, you know, it's, in, it's important to communicate those things. So players that want to get their work in, they don't feel like they had their, you know, lays cut from underneath them and that kind of thing. And that they too feel part of the team and that they, uh, that they feel that their work is important and that kind of thing. So every now and then you just kind of, there's some, some, some things you just can't control and uh, you do the best that you can. But again, when you put the effort forward, people will notice. And when you, uh, you take the time to communicate those things, you know, when it's all said and done, it, it doesn't matter as much because everybody's just trying to get better. I think you also sort of alluded to it that the day is pretty long when you come to think about it because there's all this prep work that's happening sort of in the morning, working on individual pitchers, bullpen sessions, side sessions, flat rounds, and all that fun stuff. And then it actually hits 7-10 and it's time for Dodger baseball and there's actually a game to be played and there's a lot of, you know, pitchers are warming up in the bullpen during the game, Kenley Jansen or whoever's down there now, you sort of need to like warm them up to go close out the game, that sort of fun stuff. So once it does hit 7-10, I assume it's a little bit of a different environment and that it's no longer prepping guys working on stuff and it's all all hands on deck, let's win this game in the next three hours. Does the focus sort of shift and how's that sort of like just hanging out in the bullpen waiting for that phone to ring? Well, it depends on the time of season. Hey, we do have the dog days, you know, just like every industry, you know, you just kind of get to a point in time during the season, um, maybe we go through, uh, you know, long stretch where, you know, we're facing, you know, triple digits, heat, weather, that kind of thing. Or maybe it's the opposite. We're getting some snow and some rain. It's just been grueling. Had some guys going to DL, that kind of stuff. And so all those factors will um, kind of equate what is supposed to, whatever, whatever it is you're supposed to be feeling for that game. So, um, you know, if we have a starter go down, you know, obviously you're going to be feeling a little bit different going into the game. Um, you're trying to figure out some things. You're trying to look ahead uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, same thing with relief pitchers. Um, you're, for me personally, when you kind of go into the game, you're you're trying to be as prepared as you can. Even though it's not my direct responsibility, I try to go into the game prepared, knowing who we have available, uh, knowing what kind of workload these guys have had the past couple games and that kind of thing. And so, I don't know, uh, it keeps me – engaged in the game, which I think is, it should be, that's just the way it should be. You know, sometimes it is tough, you know, cause you're in the bullpen and you're kind of waiting for things to kind of happen. And I hey, look, I mean, there's fans everywhere. There's all sorts of excitement and, you know, sometimes it's hard to watch a game for four hours from 400 feet away. So uh, we have some fun conversations, you know, amongst us guys over there. And uh, you know, it's always, and now looking back and thinking about it, you know, I've had the luxury of being around some uh, great people and not so great people, you know, and, you know, we've had some great conversations and we've had, we've had some fiery conversations and, you know, looking back at it, I mean, the experience that I've had in there and, you know, the ability to kind of listen to these guys, and you know, where they come from and that sort of thing has been such a, uh, such a unique opportunity. And yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's great. And kind of maybe shifting focus here to kind of the beginning of when you were deciding to become a bullpen catcher and your time in the minors, how was that like, like, how was your transition to and your realization of, hey, I think my future is more in the bullpen catcher or the assistant sphere and the supporting sphere more than in the playing sphere? Okay. Um, well, I'll go back to my initial story where, you know, about two years in is when I, I started to understand a little bit more. Um, now, I had a little bit of a background going into professional baseball. 
Uh, my father, he was a uh, head athletic trainer for the uh, Colorado Rockies and the assistant trainer for the Chicago Cubs. So I, I've been around Major League Baseball for a, a really long time. And so going into pro ball, I just had I had an idea of what it was like. You know, you can you can you can kind of expect it or you can kind of think about what it's like, but you really just don't know until you're there and you experience it yourself. But I will say that going in, I had an idea. Um, so that being said, you know, when the guys weren't playing and they were complaining and, you know, they were realized that they're not going to get the opportunity that they thought that they were going to get, that can prove to be a, a very big mental hurdle for a lot of these players. And so they started questioning, you know, why it is that they're doing what they're doing, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And so that in itself can negatively impact the player's performance. That being said, after about the second year, I kind of hit the same thing. We all feel it. I think the difference between some people is just, you know, kind of how it is that they end up dealing with those emotions. Right. So I had a choice to make and, you know, I made the choice to keep going. I couldn't tell you why I enjoyed what I was doing. Some days it wasn't very enjoyable. Some days it was a grind. Some days I'm sitting there wondering like why it is that I'm sitting here and I'm doing these things. Um, I'm not playing, you know, I had a, I had an education, and I there would be some times that I felt like maybe I was kind of wasting away and that maybe I wasn't, um, you know, taking full advantage of maybe some other opportunities that I, I had been given other than baseball. So there was part of me that, that, was, that was in question a lot. Um, but when I came to the decision, uh, it, it made things a little bit easier because, you know, it's like, look, you just stick through it and you go as far as you can and you keep working as hard as you can. And you be respectful to the, uh, you know, people around you and, um, you know, develop some of those relationships in a very organic and uh, natural way. You just and you just don't know where opportunity leads you. You really don't. And I've never been that type of person to kind of go about my business where I'm trying to necessarily purposely connect with people in order to obtain opportunity. Because I feel like in the long run, this this is just not genuine. Um, so I rely more on my hard work every single day, keep my nose down, grind, and just to get to know my colleagues the best that I can and allow that to take me wherever it is need to go. I'm a firm believer in the, the servant leadership type of, uh, role, if you will. Um, I do believe in just kind of like, look, I don't, I, I don't really care if my opinions heard and I just enjoy observing. I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning about people and I just kind of allow that to guide me. And it just ended up so happens that it led to an opportunity to do this job at the major league level. And so now we're here. And probably one of those. So seasons, I actually, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Nice. Um, there's, there's, there's an important little detail there um, that I want to include too, you know, between that second year and that fifth year. So there's three years there that you're kind of grinding. Uh, mentally and trying to figure out why it is you're doing, you know, what that kind of thing. So my final year or final two years, I should say, I saw one game. That was it. Um, I saw one game in my final two years of professional baseball. And that one game was 18 innings long. It so happened to be uh, my last game that I ever played at the AAA level and um, was kind of a highlight of my career. And, you know, when I got into that uh, situation, when I walked out of the ballpark, I just had a weird feeling that that was going to be it for me. And, um, you know, that off season, I picked around a little bit, was picking some brains, 
of people that I've gotten to know over the years and just whether or not they felt that I was going to be a value to the organization other than being a professional, uh, a professional player. And um, I think I was, I was getting some interest or whatnot, but I think it was more of just an understanding of like, look, we're at a fork in the roads right now. And it's time for me to decide whether or not I'm just going to pursue some more education or I'm going to give myself to the organization more. And when you, when you're trying to give yourself to the organization and you don't know what your future is and that kind of thing, you just have to have a little faith there. And, um, you know, that's kind of what, uh, ended up, I guess, say taking advantage of this opportunity because they opened up this position that same off season. And it just so happens that I was offering up a couple of skill sets at the AAA level, uh, along being ready uh, to play at any point. I was offering throw BP. I was offering to be kind of like a third staff member. I was doing anything that I could not for an opportunity, but because it was needed. And so, uh, that's how I always went about my work and I still do. And that's kind of what ended up, I guess, being able to capitalize or at least be at the right place, right time, um, you know, to, to have this opportunity. Well, that's fascinating. Cause I think when you think about it, people who want to try to break into the baseball industry, that's really great advice to sort of say, you're willing to do anything. I'm going to throw BP. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to sort of, you need some value. I'm here to try to provide it to you. That sort of mentality and being involved in baseball in any way that you can is definitely good sound pieces of advice that people should definitely hear that want to break into baseball. Um, well, I appreciate it. And it's, it's, you know, it's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to do. It really is. Um, you have to have faith. You have to have an understanding of like, look, it's not going to go your way every single time. Not everybody's going to, you know, seem like they enjoy being around you. Um, and that kind of thing. Everybody's got a different set of goals in mind and what it is they're trying to attain in their own life. And so that's where it comes down to, you know, what it is that you value, what are the virtues that you kind of live by and leaning on those as, as much as you can and always staying open-minded to learning as much as you can, not only just from like a general educational standpoint, but just about the environment around you, you know, the people that you interact with, the fans that you interact with, um, you know, people that are associated with the organization from a front office standpoint, you know, that kind of thing. You know, there's so much that you can learn just from being there. And if you're focused on doing some things outside of that, I think you'd be surprised how much you actually miss while you're doing it. And so that's where the separation comes into play a little bit and where you have to really decide why it is that you're doing what you're doing and stick to it. And I think one of the seasons that probably made you thinking a lot and sort of a lack of interactions or sort of definitely a change from the normal and having to deal with a lot of interesting stuff was that 2020 season where you guys ended up winning the World Series. So sort of what was that season, obviously, from an inside perspective that you had not only just winning championship, playing in the neutral site, no fans at Dodger Stadium, sort of unheralded and unprecedented type of baseball. What was that whole experience like? unique <laughs> i mean like <laughs> you know and, and you look back at it i mean we had that year was so weird and you know we we had a successful season um we played really well it was a shortened season we weren't even sure if we were going to end up playing um i remember a little bit going into that season i just remember the nba walking off the court and that was basically one of the last times that i was at the spring training facility and um you know it was several months after that until we actually got started so it was a weird year and um being that we ended up you know having the most success 
that year. Uh, I still kind of have a tendency to lean on the fact that it wasn't a great year for everybody, you know, and I'm talking about people outside of baseball. So that year in its entirety was just weird. It was hard. Um, and frankly, it was a little heartfelt for the people that maybe weren't, uh, you know, in a situation like we are to kind of do that. Um, you know, some of the, uh, some of these families that are really struggling, family members that passed away from COVID. I mean, that still weighs on me today. It was just, it was just really hard. Um, from a baseball standpoint, you know, you go to the stadium every day. It's a very, very, uh, controlled environment as controlled as you can possibly get really. Um, other than, you know, uh, I guess say observing where it is that you live and having somebody take you back and forth from the, the park and basically somebody guarding the door to which you, you know, you're behind sleeping each night. Um, it was as controlled as you can get and going to the stadium every day, uh, testing every single day, sometimes multiple times uh, throughout the day, uh, trying to stay apart from each other uh, in the clubhouse. Um, but while still maintaining a, a strong line of communication of what's kind of going on throughout the day um, and, and that sort of thing. And so I think that was one thing that ended up separating us from a lot of other teams. Um, I speak that a, a little, obviously a little ignorantly because I don't know what other teams were uh, dealing with. Um, I just know the, how we were going about our business. And I do think that that was the right thing to do. I mean, we sacrificed a lot. We stayed away from each other. We made every, uh, you know, um, as you say, every step that, that we took was in order to prevent an outbreak of COVID. And, uh, you know, whether it be food and, uh, you know, delivered in a certain way from the food room, the way that we were eating after the game, uh, it just was. And we, I thought we did a really, really good job. And I thought that the, the goal was uh, clearly understood throughout the team. There wasn't and there weren't really anybody that, you know, was resistive to it. Um, and I think in the long run, that's what ended up aiding our success at the end. And I've heard several things up to this point about the year and about being a short season and a world series and, you know, it does it count or should it count that kind of thing. I mean, you're going to deal with that regardless, you know, we had a similar situation in 2017 where, Hey, should it count? Should it not, you know, like that's just, that's tough. Right. And, and, you know, we, we had opportunity in 17, we had that situation happen and then we have a COVID year and we, we end up winning it all. And now some people have, you know, the audacity to kind of question whether or not we were legitimate that year. So going into it, it, it was difficult. And in the end, um, I think we did it the right way and we, uh, you know, we ended up succeeding. Now, kind of like at the end of the year when you're talking about neutral site and that sort of thing, like, look, once, once the headache of getting into that neutral site was said and done, it was fine. You know, Major League Baseball did a wonderful job in doing that and kind of keeping us in a controlled environment so there weren't any outbreaks, outbreaks and that kind of thing. Uh, we were able to bring our families if we chose. Um, so we were able to, you know, have our families with us uh, if we wanted to at the hotel, at the resort, you know, while we were, you know, in playoffs and that kind of thing. And the Texas Rangers Stadium was beautifully done. It's brand new. And, you know, the home side was beautiful. You know, the staff over there kept us, you know, very comfortable. They're all just wonderful human beings. Um, and it was ended up being a pretty good situation for us. And from a competitive standpoint, look, man, like you, you're 60 games in. I mean, 60 games in a regular season, a lot of people, a lot of players are kind of hitting their stride. Uh, 
they're feeling pretty good physically and their output is pretty dang good. So when you go into a world series and everybody's fresh or in mid shape or mid season form, I would say that that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty tough environment to be competing against. So, I mean, you know, we have pitchers up there throwing 101. We have, you know, hitters that, you know, are, are you know, hitting home runs like they're going to hit 30 in a season, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, that's a difficult, difficult environment to compete in. You got some guys that are on top of the game at that point. You're not, you know, limping into the playoffs and kind of hoping that there's going to be a little bit of momentum, you know, that kind of thing in order to carry you through some of the situations. I mean, everybody is at the peak. Everybody's feeling pretty dang good. And so from a competitive standpoint, I would say that that was uh, a clear distinction between, you know, other World Series. Now, that's not to take value from a normal World Series because, again, you have the longevity of a season and you kind of go into the, the uh, playoffs limping and just trying to get through it. And so you have that side of it as well. But uh, for the naysayers that say that, oh, it's a short season, that kind of thing, well, you just have to try to look at it from a different uh, different perspective. Absolutely. And being around sort of the best of the best, Nico, you got something? Yeah, I mean, uh, to all the haters out there, I just have to say, like, they can hate all they want, but you guys have the ring, and they don't. So <laughs> you can just laugh in their face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? Like, it was, man. It, You know, playing the Padres and playing Atlanta and, you know, coming back from 3-1, that kind of thing. It was, it was fantastic. And not to say, I mean, we were only, we were only able to have so many uh, fans at the stadium. I don't remember what the threshold was. I think it was like maybe a quarter of the stadium or something, but just to have fans back in the stadium was such a delight and be able to get away from, you know, the fake noise that we had playing in every stadium that we go to. Um, You know, it got to the point where we'd be sitting in the bullpen and it's so quiet and you can hear the, you know, the white noise that they're pumping into the stadium, you know, the fake crowd noise. And you could actually hear the uh, you can hear the tape end and restart. <laughs> so we'd be playing it. We'd be like in the third inning, and then you would hear it like pause and then restart. And it's like, oh no! And then pretty soon you start picking up on the cycle of whatever that you know that that noise clip is trimmed at, and you're like, oh man! So it it was hard. It's yeah. Did Dodger Stadium also do like the cardboard cutouts of like people's massive faces in the crowd too, or was that? Like I know the Mets did. I think the Red Sox did it too. Um, I don't know. Uh, we definitely... did. We did. Um, and I think, yeah, I think uh, multiple uh, teams did. Yeah. San Diego did end up doing it. Um, and again, I thought I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> you know, for people to kind of, you know, be able to put their faces still in the in the stands and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So we do have a couple rapid fires. I know you have to go, and you've done a lot with us so far on this episode. But we have sort of. We don't get to speak to people who have caught major league pitchers and major league talent on very often, if ever. So sort of wanted to hear your unique perspective. We have a couple rapid fire names to throw at you of like what it's like to catch X and then sort of a couple of these names. You can probably predict a couple of them that we're going to throw at you. But um, obviously the first name we have is what is it like to catch Clayton Kershaw? Yeah, the start with the most difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, I know it's I know it's rapid fire. So, are you guys wanting uh, like the shortest answer, like right off the bat, or can I elaborate a little bit? Absolutely, elaborate whatever you want to give us. It's Kershaw. Okay. I mean. <laughs> um, I would, yeah. No. Uh, you know, I've had the um, I've had the luxury and uh, a great opportunity to get to know Kershaw over the last you know, 10 years. Um, and the one word that comes to me when I, when I catch him is uh, routine. Uh, 
Um, he, you know, the one thing that uh, I respect most about Clayton Kershaw is that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, rain, sunny, you know, weird day. It doesn't matter. Um, he's going to stick to the routine that works for him the best. And I would say that uh, our personalities complement each other a little bit because I appreciate routine. It makes uh, it makes things that I do a little bit easier as well. So whenever I'm catching him, that's kind of the thing that I, I think about. And you would uh, be amazed of how um, repetitive or having the ability to repeat uh, what he does every day. And that's, uh, that's something that I kind of take away from that. It's, it's, it's a standout feature for me. Obviously, he's probably the greatest Dodger lefty of all time. But how about the newest lefty in the rotation? How's Julio Urias catching him? Uh, Urias is great. Um, you know, I've gotten to know him for a long time now. Uh, I, I actually saw him in the minor leagues when I was in the minor leagues. Yeah. I mean, that's how long we kind of, or at least are, we've been aware of each other. And I was happy to see him finally get an opportunity at the major league level. And, you know, looking back and seeing, you know, how things were kind of controlled with him and um, comparing that to when he finally just had the, uh, you know, the leash cut where he could just kind of, all right, you can go pitch now. Um, I thought that was kind of cool to watch. I thought it was fun to see him develop over the last, you know, seven years or whatever it's been, however long we've known each other. And, um, I would say for him, it's just, it's just drive. Like there's an intrinsic drive there that, uh, that it's hard to, I guess say elaborate. It's hard to kind of break down. Um, but you know, like you could tell that he's hurting. You could tell that he's struggling to get through or whatnot, or, you know, he's tired. Um, but then he goes out and he, he posts and you don't hear a peep out of him. And I have a ton of respect for somebody who does their work like that. And that's something, you know, like even, even Kershaw, that's just, that's something that's similar between them. Um, it's just uh, first thing that comes to mind with the Kershaw's routine. And then another picture that I guess we see from the outside that has definitely an interesting routine. And he was on the Dodgers for the first couple of years you were with them. And that's Zach Greinke. I know he hasn't been a Dodger for a bit, but what was that? I think he had two years overlapping with him probably. Yeah, they're 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 my first two years, um, you know, and when again, it's kind of hard to explain unless you're there and you feel it. But when you're new to an organization and you're new um, in a, a, in a team or part of a team, you have to you have to be extremely mindful. And that's not to say or take away the fact that you need to be mindful always, but especially when you're 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 kind of stepping into a new environment like that you need to respect everybody uh, around you at the utmost, like, and not assume anything. And yes, sir. No, sir. That kind of thing. And, you know, getting to know Granky was fun, but I didn't really ever get to know him personally. Um, I didn't really have enough time. Uh, unfortunately, like he was only with us for two years and it was my first two years. Um, uh, but looking back in the way that he did his work, it was also unique. He had a way uh, mentally to kind of break things down uh, a little bit differently, I think, compared to other players. And I think the other players respected him for that. And it was fun to watch him do his work. And he was the first one that I saw 
kind of understood like, hey, if I don't feel very good today, this is kind of how I'm going to adjust or um, I feel pretty good today. This is how I'm going to adjust to that. You know, for example, he he didn't throw bullpens like like strictly as part of his routine. I think that some ways his bullpens uh, complemented the way that he was going about his work that day, how he was feeling that day and that kind of thing. So, uh, for example, you know, one day he went out and he threw 15 pitches and it was like he was throwing in the game. He was throwing almost – it seemed like he was throwing as hard as he could and it was making his game like as he possibly could. And then on the flip side, he may throw 10 and he's just trying to spot up uh, the best that he can. And then there may be a day where he throws 35 and it's just like right in the middle ground of everything. He's kind of working on things and uh, maybe it's a endurance thing. I don't know. Uh, but that was something that I noticed out of him. And that was something that I, I, that I enjoy watching. All right. So unfortunately due to technical difficulties and a power outage where Steven is, that day is going to cut our interview short, but Nico, you got something to say. Yes, if you want to go see Steven Shilati and the rest of the Dodgers in the stadium or any of your favorite teams, make sure you use us in SeatGeek using the code SIDERETIREDPOD to get $20 off on your first order. And, you know, thank you guys so much for coming on. Next week, we're going to have more podcasts, more interviews like you guys love, more rankings. Thank you guys for listening. But for now, the side is retired. <laughs>